Hello, and welcome to this Biblical Education series on the book of Exodus. You can find this series and others online at onefellowshipumc.org and on the One Fellowship Church podcast. Visit us online to learn more about our congregation and the work that we do in Waco, Texas. Thank you, and enjoy. Lord, we come before you right now uh, giving thanks for the many blessings in our lives. And even as we give thanks, we have many concerns that weigh heavily upon us. We ask, Lord, that in all things that you will open these words before us so that they may plant seeds of divine wisdom within our hearts that will grow into fruition through actions. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. My friends, it is great to be back with you all. We are in the book of Exodus. We are continuing in the book of Exodus. And uh, this evening, we are going to actually wrap up the book of Exodus. Uh, we are going to pick up in chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at the, uh, the Sinai covenant, the covenant given on Mount Sinai um, to the Israelites. And we're going to focus particularly on this book of the covenant language here in Exodus chapters 20 through uh, 23. And we'll look at the chapters before and after and how they kind of frame uh, the giving of the law or of Torah. Now it's, um, there are several preliminary things to consider here as we're talking about the book of Exodus. We have noted that the book of Exodus uh, has two primary genres inside of it. That is to say, the first half of the book of Exodus is predominantly narrative. It's stories. And this is the half of the book of Exodus that we often read the most. Uh, we're talking about uh, the story of, of Moses, the story of the Exodus event, the, uh, the, the plagues or the wonders of Egypt. And we often tell these stories. Uh, we, we come back again time and time again to the stories. This is chapters 1 through really 19. Now in chapter 20, the genre changes and it will change for the duration, uh, well for a majority I should say, of the rest of the book. It changes from narrative to uh, a set of instructions, what we sometimes call Torah or law. Now, the thing to understand here is that in chapters uh, 20 through 23, we get the giving of the law, this sort of code of conduct by which the Israelites are supposed to live. Then um, in the following chapters, really chapter 25 through to the end of the book, uh, is these sort of detailed instructions about how to build the tabernacle. Uh, the tabernacle, of course, is this sort of mobile tent that functions as a, uh, a mobile temple where the presence of God can be found in the midst of the Israelites as they are traveling between Egypt and the promised land there in the wilderness. And so it's a bit of an injustice that this evening I'm going to try to cover uh, 20 chapters or so in uh, one session um, but hopefully we will be able to return to really dive through in a deeper, uh, uh, sort of a deeper study on some of the wisdom that is buried within uh, these laws, within this instruction, and within these commandments concerning the construction of the tabernacle. But for the sake of this study here on the book of Exodus, my friends, we will wrap it up here with the giving of the law. Now, let's take a moment here to define this word law, or we should say Torah. Um, we, we often use the word Torah, especially in modern Christianity, almost interchangeably with the word law. So 
Commonly, we say the word Torah is translated as law, but we have to remember that Torah is not necessarily the same thing as law. In fact, the word Torah is a little bigger than our modern conceptions of law. The word Torah probably best translates as instruction. And instruction, of course, can include legal material like that which we are going to read this evening. But instruction can also include the stories that come before the legal material. When we think of the law or Torah or this legal material, oftentimes the material that we read the most are the Ten Commandments. And while the Ten Commandments are very important, the Ten Commandments open this Book of the Covenant. That is not all that is written in Torah. And so uh, I encourage you, as you are reading through the book of Exodus and as you are reading through Torah as a whole, do not skip over the legal material. We oftentimes have select sections that we in the modern world read, perhaps because those select sections resonate deeply with us or because our church traditions point us to those select sections. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this evening. But I encourage you, the Ten Commandments are not all that there is in Torah. There is so much more to be learned, to be gleaned, to, to, to be studied and understood. Now, the fact that the book of Exodus changes from narratives, stories about Moses to this legal material raises the question, how do these two halves of Exodus work together? Chapters 1 through 19 being narrative stories and chapters 20 through 40 being predominantly law, legal materials, or these instructions for the tabernacle. How do they work together? In fact, the change in genre can almost make it feel like we're reading two separate books. Like we have the stories of Exodus, and then embedded in the end of this story of the Exodus, we have a lengthy, uh, almost... Um, rabbit trail almost of legal material that can feel out of place. But the thing to remember is that the legal material in the second half of Exodus parallels and works with the narratives in the first half, half of Exodus. That is to say that they're meant to work together. I recall a, a, an old um, rabbinic teaching about the book of Exodus and how they work together that uh, the first half of the book of Exodus tells a story of God delivering the Israelites from Egypt. But the second half of the book of Exodus, that legal material that sometimes, if we're not careful, we don't pay as much attention to, tells a story about what the Israelites are delivered into. That is to say that the book of Exodus is a book of liberation. It is a book about deliverance. It is a book about what they're delivered from and what they're delivered to. And that, my friends, embodied within that teaching is a remarkably powerful reflection to recognize that oftentimes when we are delivered from something, we are not just delivered into nothingness. In the story of, uh, of Christianity, um, which builds upon these Jewish scriptures, we recognize that whenever we are delivered from something, we are also delivered into something else. That is to say, here they are delivered from the service, the, the servitude, the slavery, the oppression. They are delivered from the hand of Pharaoh, but they are delivered into the hand of God. They are delivered from the service in, of Egypt into the service of the creator of this world. And as such, they have to structure their lives according to this new service that they are delivered into. 
And you see, my friends, that's what we have to recognize. When we are delivered out of something, we are also delivered into something new. And when we are delivered into something new, that often means we structure our lives accordingly. And that's one of the things that Torah does. Now, we have to remember that, that this, uh, the, the legal material in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy serves a, was written to serve a different function in the ancient world than we often see it functioning as in the modern world. And here's what I mean, is that the, the collection of these laws were designed to structure a society. It was designed to structure a society in such a way so that the life of the people of God reflected the values of their God. And we want to recognize that. We see this especially in the second half of Leviticus when it tells the Israelites, you are to be holy. Why? Because I, the Lord, am holy. There is this recognition. The life of the people of God should reflect the values of God. And we can pause there to reflect upon the importance of that principle for our own lives. Our lives should reflect the values of our God. We, we claim to worship and to serve the giver of life, then our lives should be structured in such a way so as to value and cherish life wherever we find it in this world. And that's one of the things that Torah does. Now, in the ancient world, many ancient societies had law codes that were very similar. In fact, if there's one you want to look up, uh, go take a look at the Code of Hammurabi. You can uh, find it online. It's an ancient uh, Babylonian law code, and it talks about how to structure society in such a way so as to protect certain groups of people that were vulnerable in the social structure of society. And that's one of the functions that these ancient codes did. Imperfectly, yes. Uh, can we criticize them uh, or uh, present objections to them based upon the worldview that they assume? Yes, we most certainly can. That was the way they were designed to function in the ancient world. And Torah is designed to do a similar thing. It's designed to structure a society in the ancient world. But we have to recognize that we often read it with a different lens today. That is to say, we have to interpret it for a modern context. Now, when we come to Torah, oftentimes, we don't see it as trying to structure, um, or we don't interpret it as a way to structure our society. Uh, and, and, you know, we do this in both Christianity and in Judaism. I think one of the big examples that we can use when it comes to interpreting Torah is the issue of sacrifices, Torah spends a lot of time talking about what sacrifices to give and what conditions. Uh, you get this a lot, particularly in Leviticus 1 through 7. But in our modern world, uh, in both Christianity and in Judaism, we don't offer sacrifices anymore. Uh, in Christianity, we don't offer sacrifices because we view Jesus as uh, symbolically and spiritually being a sacrifice and at the same time as serving as a high priest. We use both images for Jesus, and so Jesus fulfills that imagery for us. In, in uh, Judaism, or in many groups of, uh, of Judaism, sacrifices are not currently practiced um, because there is no centralized temple in which they would be practiced. And so for the last 2,000 years, uh, those sacrifices have not been offered. But that does not mean that, the, that the, uh, the wisdom of Torah does not speak into today. And so in both Christianity and in Judaism, when we read the laws of Torah, we read the words given to an ancient world, but with an eye towards how they speak into our modern 
context. And I think, my friends, one of the uh, uh, one of the prime examples of this kind of reading of Torah we find in Jesus. Recall the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7. Jesus goes up on the mountain, he stands up before, and he begins, uh, well, he, he sits down, and then he begins teaching. And he says things like, you have heard it said. And then he goes on to quote a part of Torah. You have heard it said, do not murder. And that is a part of Torah. That is a part of the Ten Commandments that we're going to read here in Exodus chapter 20. But then Jesus goes on to interpret it. Yes, you should not commit murder, but in addition to that, don't hate your brother. Don't hate your sister, because that is murder within the heart. And what Jesus does as an interpreter of Torah is he takes the words of Torah, but he spiritualizes them. And so when he spiritualizes them now, murder is not just about a physical action. It's about this disposition, this state within us. He does the same thing with adultery. Yes, don't commit adultery, but don't even look lustfully at someone else. Spiritualizing it for within our hearts. Jesus is interpreting Torah for his age, interpreting Torah for his day. And we do a similar thing in both Judaism and in Christianity, when we are interpreting Torah. We're interpreting words that were designed in the ancient world, the structure in ancient society. But we interpret them in such a way so that they can continue speaking to us today. And this is part of the power that Torah offers. I want to open with, um, with an old rabbinic story about the time when Jesus, or when, uh, forgive me, when Moses meets Rabbi Akiva. This is uh, recorded in the, um, in the Talmud, I believe, and uh, it's, it's a story on, in which Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and as the story goes, God is uh, writing the words of Torah there on the stone tablets, and we all remember this part of the story in the Bible, um, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and, you know, he receives the tablets. So according to this legend, to this ancient Jewish legend, as Moses is up there on the mountain, God is using his finger to, to write the words of Torah. And the story says that God was taking his time adding what, what in Aramaic are the, the crowns of the letters. So if you ever see Hebrew calligraphy, uh, it's, it's written with, with very careful precision.